Hello, Rob Shank here. Welcome to Shank Talks Bunhofer, a podcast sponsored by the Dietrich Bunhofer Institute in Washington, D.C., and all about this remarkable 20th century Protestant church leader in Germany during the rise of National Socialism, Adolf Hitler, and the horror of World War II and the destruction of so much of Europe. And in the cauldron of all of that arose this remarkable young man, brilliant, uh, the son of a bourgeois family and a very successful and noted psychiatrist, Dr. Karl Bonhoeffer. And of course, Dietrich would take a different path from his parents and siblings and choose theology. Well, I guess you could argue that uh, his mother's line had theologians in it, but it was a very different path from his immediate nuclear family's culture uh, and design for their children. Uh, very young, at age uh, 14, Bonhoeffer announced his plans to uh, follow the path of ordination uh, as a pastor in the Protestant church and would emerge as one of the most brilliant minds uh, when it comes to theology, ethics, moral philosophy, and on and on it goes. Uh, Bonhoeffer was uh, a multi-talented individual. He was quite a musician. He was certainly an outstanding writer. He was a popular lecturer. Uh, as much as a provocative preacher. And that he did early on when he took to the airwaves as a newly ordained minister and dared to challenge the notion of the Fuhrer or the absolute potentate in Germany. Of course, you may know the story of his famous radio sermon. Uh, he was cut from the airwaves. No one knows who did that or why, but he was never able to finish his rather loving critique. Uh, he was passionate in his love for his fellow Germans, his country, uh, his culture and civilization, and even for the individual in question in that sermon, who happened to be Adolf Hitler. And he offered this as a congenial critique, uh, saying that it would be of no benefit to Hitler himself nor to Germany to take this path of what would become dictatorship and an enormously cruel and mass murderous and destructive dictatorship. Bonhoeffer saw this presciently as a young man and dared to publicly air his deep concerns, but he did it congenially. He did it winsomely. He did it uh, ironically, I guess. Is that the term? Uh, but in any case, he was engaging with the culture. And 
What I want to share with you today about my appreciation for Bonhoeffer is my own personal story of my encounter with this remarkable individual through his uh, vast corpus of writing, uh, his books, his essays, uh, his correspondence, which was uh, prolific. Uh, with all kinds of people, from his family and his love interest, his fiance, uh, to, of course, the intimate friendship he had with the man who would become his official biographer, Eberhard Betka, and on and on it goes, formal correspondence with church leaders in Germany and around the world, uh, with political figures, and, and so forth. Uh, he gave us a rich body of material that allows us to not only know him as a thinker, uh, as a commentator, uh, as an intellectual and an academic, uh, as a theologian and a philosopher, but we get to know him personally through his letters. They are very personal and, in many cases, very revealing about who he was as an individual, even his deepest struggles. And, of course, much of that correspondence was generated while he was in prison. And this was how I first met Bonhoeffer. So, as we evangelicals say, uh, this is my testimony. This is my personal story of my encounter with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how it affected the very course of my Christian life, my personal life, and even now my professional life as founder and uh, president CEO of the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. So um, let me start at the very beginning of uh, that story with my dear Dietrich, as I like to call him. Uh, that started early on in my own Christian experience. Uh, I was raised in a nominally Jewish home, really non-religious, and uh, came to faith in Jesus Christ. I made my public profession of faith as a Christian uh, very early in my life at age uh, 16. And uh, after reading the New Testament, one of the first pieces of Christian literature I was given was Bonhoeffer's seminal work, what was then entitled The Cost of Discipleship, uh, has been retitled in recent days uh, as a one-word title, just as it was in the original German, which was Nachfogel, uh, and uh, meaning following after. And so it has been renamed simply discipleship, which means to pattern oneself after. And uh, this was Bonhoeffer's treatment of what it meant to pattern oneself after Jesus Christ, to follow after Jesus Christ. And I devoured that book. First of all, I felt an identification with Bonhoeffer, not only because he was a young man, and bold, and I have to say my personality has always been somewhat bold, uh, so I had an identification with that part of him, but also because he connected to a very important part of my family story. When I was 
Growing up, my father made sure that his four children were well-schooled in the history of the Holocaust. Uh, we were not aware of any immediate family members who were lost uh, to that catastrophe in Germany, but we were aware that there were some distant relatives uh, who were likely lost in the camps, in the extermination camps and the concentration camps of Germany during that period. So my father, whose older brother, uh, the uncle Bobby I never knew, but uh, who would uh, give me my name, I was chosen to be his namesake after he died uh, in Korea uh, during the war there. And uh, my father's brother, my father was Hank, uh, his brother was Robert, or Bobby, as they called him. And Bobby had flown a record number of bombing missions over the European theater during World War II. Imagine that, a, a Jewish guy flying bombing missions over Germany. Imagine if he had, uh, you know, been shot down and captured as a Jewish man. Uh, I, I can't even imagine what the consequences of that would have been. So um, my uncle that I never knew, but whose name I now bear, and I'm very honored to bear the name of Captain Robert L. Shank, who achieved the Distinguished Flying Cross for his missions uh, over Europe, and then later was called back up as a reservist to Korea, where he died, ironically, in a non-combat uh, air crash. And I was uh, the next-born male, so I was given his name, which uh, is a deep, deep honor for me. But in any case, I say that because that connected my father directly to what was happening in Germany during those days. His brother was in the skies over those camps. And my father kept a meticulous scrapbook of almost everything that was published about the atrocities of the Germans towards the Jews and towards many others. And I was schooled in that from some of my earliest memories are sitting with my father on his knee with my identical twin brother on his other knee and paging through that scrapbook and learning all about the Holocaust in Germany. So Bunhofer's connection to that was a connection to my own family story. And so I really bonded to him in reading The Cost of Discipleship, which brought me to the Sermon on the Mount and an early understanding of Christian virtues and values and principles and so forth. And, and so that was part of my Christian formation. And then as time went on, uh, I'm sorry to say, and I detail this in my memoir, Costly Grace, which is a Bonhoeffianism, uh, a Bonhoeffian phrase. Uh, he, he coined this phrase, costly grace, which has a tinge of irony to it, but he explains it uh, very well. Uh, in in uh, several of his writings, but uh, I entitled my memoir, Costly Grace, An Evangelical Minister's Rediscovery of Faith, Hope, and Love. It's published by HarperCollins. You can find it 
everywhere at your favorite bookseller. And in it, I detail how I slipped into the very error that Dietrich Bonhoeffer spent virtually his entire adult life uh, countering in Germany and beyond Germany, which is the politicization of Christianity, the politicization of faith, of the gospel, of Christ himself. And I slipped into that very same error as I embraced the agenda of what is now popularly known as the religious right in America. And I would spend 25 years in what I call in my memoir, that dark wood, that dark period of my life where I thought I had it right, but in fact, I did not. And it would take another encounter with Dietrich Bonhoeffer to lead me out of that place of spiritual disorientation, of dysfunction, uh, of error, serious error, perhaps even heresy. And I'll tell you how that happened. Uh, I was undertaking my doctoral work late in life after age 50. I was way beyond my academic prime, but I took it on. And I was asked by my doctoral advisor at my seminary, uh, Faith Evangelical Seminary in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, he, he startled me when we sat down to begin to map my work in the research phase of my doctoral program. You know, you have to do the typical classroom work and a lot of reading and a lot of writing, and then you sit to begin to work on your dissertation, which is your magnum opus. And it's the equivalent, really, of writing a, an academic textbook, including an exhaustive, enormous amount of research and citations. And I, I either read or at least, uh, you know, uh, surveyed more than 300 books, countless articles, uh, lots of other sources. I had to do many, many interviews and so on. But the first question my doctoral advisor, Gary Waldron, who I also mentioned in my memoir, Costly Grace, uh, Dr. Waldron asked me in the first sitting, who would you most like to be like in your personal life? Who would you most like to emulate? And you can't answer Jesus because you can never be Jesus. Uh, he's the only son of God. But anyone else, who would you like to be like? And the first name that came to my mind and lips was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'd like to be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dr. Waldron said, then that's who you should pursue in your research work. And I set out on that course. And I would eventually recruit another advisor, a true Bonhoeffer scholar, uh, Dr. Peter Frick of the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, actually the Dean of St. Paul's College, a part of the uh, university system there in uh, Ontario, Canada. And he's not only written uh, extensively on Bonhoeffer, uh, but actually studied at Tübingen, where Bonhoeffer both studied and lectured in Germany and uh, is German by birth and upbringing, and so German is his native language. And he's read all of Bonhoeffer and translated a good portion of Bonhoeffer's works. So I was blessed and honored and humbled to have uh, Dr. Frick as my advisor. 
And uh, I would set out on that journey, uh, looking at the life and the work of Bonhoeffer. I was specifically looking at his treatment of the question of the, uh, of the encounter between the church and the state. But as I went along, I was stumbling over uh, some of uh, Bonhoeffer's technical language and concepts, the way he expresses them. And Peter eventually asked me, do you plan to master mid-20th century German? And of course, my answer was no, I, I don't plan to do that. And he said, well, unless you can read him uh, and understand him in his native language, uh, you can't pursue Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, individually, you know, specifically because his use of language is so precise, so careful, so nuanced, uh, so idiosyncratic. You have to get him in his original tongue. And so uh, much to my uh, discouragement and profound disappointment, uh, I had to give up Bonhoeffer himself, but I moved to the backdrop to Bonhoeffer's life, which was what is commonly referred to as the German church crisis. And what that refers to is the failure of the German church to maintain its absolute transcendent and utter devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord and instead exchange its devotion uh, and its obedience uh, from Christ to an earthly Lord, namely Adolf Hitler, who some of uh, the church voices of that time not only uh, praised and congratulated, but in one instance, one theologian actually declared Adolf Hitler to be a, quote, gift and miracle from God, end quote. The whole idea being that God had sent Adolf Hitler to the German people in order to return Germany to its one-time greatness. So, you know, this is a, a highly relevant discussion to our own day. And this is an error that is easily made by any of us. I made it personally. I made this error. There was a point where uh, on certain days I wasn't sure who was Lord, Jesus or Ronald Reagan, uh, Jesus or George W. Bush, Jesus or uh, the Republican Party, Jesus or my conservative political sensibilities. And that was distressing enough to me, to cause me to look deeply at my own error, the error of the movement I was a part of, often called the Christian right. And I examined that through the lens of Bonhoeffer and others that treated that problem among the German churches in the time of Nazism. And that was such a revelation for me. 
and, and of course, uh, I kept gravitating back towards Bonhoeffer's treatment of that problem. And in concert with that, in my research, I uh, undertook a study tour of Bonhoeffer's life by literally following in his footsteps from the place of his birth, through his life, his imprisonment, eventually his transport to the concentration camp at Flossenburg, and then once at Flossenburg, remembering that Bonhoeffer was forced to strip naked and walk to the gallows where he essentially hanged himself. Uh, I got as close to that as I was going to, which uh, was to take off my shoes and socks and really feel the footpath that he literally took walking on the concrete into the hanging yard at Flossenburg, where he would mount a, a small step stool and place uh, the noose around his neck and uh, have the stool kicked out from under him by the Nazi guards and and then walked again down uh, a, a path that led to the area where he would have been, his remains would have been cremated, except that they were burning so many bodies at that time, the uh, oven had broken down, so they would burn him and others in a pyre, a pile, and then scatter his ashes into the forest so that his family couldn't reclaim them. I, I walked through all of that and experienced that. And I must tell you, in that moment, thinking of Bunhofer's passionate commitment to the Lordship of Christ, even unto death, in that yard, ignominiously, alone, isolated, completely separated from everyone he loved, everyone who knew him, it wouldn't be discovered until many weeks later what had happened to him, and even months later before his own family knew what had happened to him, entirely alone, without any earthly reward, he surrendered himself utterly to the Lordship of Christ, even unto death. And in that moment, it was for me another conversion experience. In my memoir, I outlined three conversions, two of them good, one not so good. And this was my third and very good conversion. I called it, I call it in the book, uh, being born again, again. And it reoriented me to what lordship really means, what it means to claim Christ as Lord, singular authority in one's life, ultimate and absolute authority that informs everything else, including our politics, including uh, our opinions. Uh, all of those are to be submitted ultimately to the Lordship of Christ. None of us do it perfectly. Of course, I can't, won't, and never will. But it is the ideal that we must constantly place in front of us. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer helped me to get back to that place where I am now. 
And I'm relearning what it means to be completely submitted and to take Jesus as the first word and the last word, as the singular role model for what it means to serve God and humanity, what it means to interface with humanity. Uh, Christ is the last word on that. So uh, this is my testimony that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was used by the Lord he served to call me back to faithful service and confession uh, and submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I can't say enough about that. I'm so grateful to God for the life, for the legacy, uh, for the privilege of knowing uh, the work of this humble uh, and, and yet extraordinary servant in our day, uh, one of certainly one of the luminaries in Christian history, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 1906 to 1945, and uh, lives forever uh, in uh, that wonderful place of adoration and worship before the throne of God. I have no no doubt about that. Uh, so uh, that's my story of me and Dietrich, if you will, my dear Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great servant of God, a prophetic voice for the church, and for me, a friend, a posthumous friend, who led me back to what it truly means to be a Christian. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope it's meaningful to you. It certainly is for me. And uh, I'll leave you with those thoughts until uh, we meet again on this podcast. Mm -hmm.